As we continue our series, last week we launched a series called Stronger, uh, about how we can be stronger in our marital relationships, uh, in our family relationships, in our friendships, uh, all of those relationships that we have. Uh, we live uh, by relationship. God's designed us uh, to be in relationship with each other, and sometimes those things are wonderful and great, and sometimes they're not so good. Uh, that's often because of our fault or the other person's fault, uh, but sometimes we like to blame others. And today in the scripture, we're going to look at some big characters. Uh, the Bible is full of big characters. You think about Samson and David, uh, of course, Jesus uh, is the biggest of all, uh, but Abraham, who we're going to look at today, Moses, th these are giant figures in the scripture. Th these are people that, that folks cling to. And we look at folks like Noah and even Jonah. All of these guys, amazing, wild stories about them and how God sort of used them in mighty ways. But if you're not that kind of a person, sort of bigger than life, and the world doesn't quite revolve around you uh, in your little sphere of influence, I, I want you to take comfort today. Because in this passage that we're going to look at, there's a, there's a minor character in the grand scheme of things who plays a, a major part, uh, who God pays attention to, who God sees, even in her dismay and her loneliness and, and her desire to escape. And so no matter where you are, if you're a larger than life person or you're the one that sort of nobody pays attention to, uh, let me encourage you today uh, that God knows you, he wants to know you, and he sees where you are and he desires to bring you in relationship with himself uh, and with others. And so if you've got your Bible today, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, the very first book. Uh, and we're going to start in chapter 16. We're going to read uh, a portion of chapter 16 and a portion of chapter 17. So kind of hold your Bibles open if you have them. Uh, we're going to begin uh, with 16. This is the story of Abram and Sarai or Sarai, depending on how you want to say it. I'll say Sarai most of the time and then probably change to Sarah because that's what her name gets changed to as well. So just roll with it, okay? Uh, you know who I mean. But in Genesis 16, verse one, it says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. And if you don't know where that is, that's the promised land for Israel. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Gentlemen, we'll get to that later. I gave my servant to your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. 
But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her that she there is Hagar fled. This account in the scripture in history is a big problem. There's a giant problem uh, here in the life of Abram and Sarai. Now, we see the big problem as uh, handing an Egyptian slave to your husband and her getting pregnant. That's another big problem that we'll get to in a minute. But there's a big problem here. Uh, Abram and Sarai, just the chapter before in our Bible, were promised by God that you would be the father, he would be the father of a multitude. Descendants as numerous as the stars. And Abram had the luxury in the ancient world to see all the stars. It's not a luxury we have today because we live in the big city. And the lights from the skyscrapers and the baseball fields and everywhere else, they, they dim those beautiful stars at night. But he got to see them all. Too numerous to count. And God promised that that's how many descendants he would have. And yet it didn't happen and didn't happen and didn't happen and didn't happen. And so what often occurs when God doesn't operate on our timetable is our faith turns to doubt. And then our doubt turns to hopeless. Because all we look at, just like all Abram looked at, was chronology and human biology. They looked at the only things that they thought they might have some control over, the, the only things that they knew. And, and rather than living a life by faith, that faith turned to doubt and then ultimately to hopelessness. And the struggle here for Abram is that throughout the early parts of Genesis Abram had experienced opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to express and to live out faith, to trust in God, to, to not live by sight, but to live by faith. And over and over and over again, he passed the test, if you will. He, he demonstrated faith, the kind of faith that he gets mentioned in the New Testament for living out. But in this instance, Something changed. Something was different. Perhaps it was because the person closest to him, the person that he loved, the person that he had committed himself to was also without faith, hopeless, full of doubt. And so here we are, this man and woman who had been promised this great blessing and now Sarai is upset. She's frustrated. She's discouraged. All the things that you can imagine she would be if God had promised her children and she had none. Because in that culture, it was a disgrace not to have children. It doesn't matter so much in our era that if you have children or you don't. You, 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 at some point, people just stop asking. And it doesn't matter. But in that culture, it was a disgrace not to have children. And so here they are, without children, aging, thinking that God had forgotten about them. 
And so rather than wait on God, rather than trust in him, Sarai has a brilliant idea. I've got this Egyptian slave over here. Abram, why don't you take her as a wife? And she'll bear the children of Israel. That sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? The, the funny thing is for us, it sounds rather odd. But in that culture, that practice was acceptable. It was socially acceptable for them to do what they did. Now imagine if Abram had received that brilliant idea from someone else. He probably would have rejected it. But because it was from his wife, the person closest to him, and because he knew that under the, the laws and the customs of that era, that it was an acceptable practice. Perhaps he thought, well, maybe this is God's plan. Maybe this is the right idea. Maybe we should just make it happen. I should listen to my wife. And so he carries out the plan. Now, even if we don't know the rest of the story, which if you read the book of Genesis, you know the rest of the story. If you live today, you know the rest of the story because we're still dealing with the consequences of this story today. Even if you don't know the rest of the story, this is a bad idea, like historically bad idea. Please take my little slave girl and make a baby. That's a bad idea. I don't care what culture you're from, what era you live in, it's a bad idea. Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Galatians, thousands of years later, writes about this very event. And he says this about what happens here. That there are two covenants in the world. There's a covenant of faith established by God and there's a covenant of flesh. And this, what Abram and Sarai did, is the covenant of flesh. It's man's responsibility of flesh and bones. It is not of God. And then yet there's a covenant of faith with which Abram finally lives up to later based on God's promise. And so let me encourage you, no matter how old or young you are here today or online, that sometimes the people closest to you don't give good advice. Sometimes the people closest to you give bad advice, even with the best of intentions. And so one of our men in our church said after the first service, so what you're telling me, pastor, is that I don't have to listen to my wife. No, that's not what I'm telling you. What I am telling you is that we need to fact check the people that we're closest to and that we listen to. That we need to cross-reference what they say and what God's word says. Because God's word isn't based on how you're feeling that day. Well, I feel like this is a good idea. It doesn't matter, according to God's word, what is culturally acceptable. 
Just because it's okay doesn't mean you should do it. The Apostle Paul also speaks to that thing. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. There are some things we should not participate in, even though it's legal. Even though it might be culturally acceptable. And to listen to someone who would turn us from the word of God would, to be, would send us down a path we do not need to go down. And so a reminder to us that our feelings and the feelings of others, what our culture says is okay, do not always equal God's plan. So fact check those that give you advice. Align their statements with what the word of God says. Because the result of of this activity, of, of them carrying out this crazy plan, is that Hagar gets pregnant, ultimately has a baby, his name is Ishmael, and there's all kinds of strife and difficulty And so what does Sarai do? Does she take responsibility for this ill-fated idea? Does she say, you know what? I I don't know what I was thinking. Why would I ever have you sleep with our slave? That's a bad idea. No, she doesn't do that because you don't do that and I don't do that when we mess up. What does she do? She blames God and blames Abram which is what we do. We blame our spouse. We blame our best friend. We blame our parents, students. We blame our kids, parents. We blame everybody else but us. And we start to get mean to each other. And Sarah blames Abram and she makes this statement in verse two, which is about the only true thing she says in the whole deal. Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. That's a true statement up to that point. But in her mind, God, that issue, your plan up up to this point is too challenging. It's too hard. I'm having to wait too long. You're not opening the right doors for me, Lord. I'm not getting my opportunity. Lord, the blessing that you promised hasn't gotten here yet. You're not listening to me, God. I'm, I'm coming to you over and over again. Why aren't I getting my chance? Why aren't you coming through for me, God? It's been too many days, too many weeks, too many months, too many years. I'm tired of waiting. And so, Lord, guess what? Because of you, you made me do things that I normally wouldn't do. I know all of you are perfect that have never said that. But that's what Sarah did. Because of you, God, I had to do something I normally wouldn't do. Because of you, Abram, I had to do something that I normally wouldn't do. Because if you want your plan to come true, Lord, then I'm going to do it. And I'm going to bust through the door. 
I'm gonna knock it down. I'm gonna say my peace. I'm gonna live my truth. Whatever it is. And the train wreck ensues. Just like it did here. And she blames God and she blames Abram. Hagar despises her at this point. And she says, Abram, you're responsible. Well, I guess that's kind of true. I'm suffering because of you. How often have we said that it's your fault? And we point our finger at others. And we forget that those three fingers are pointing back at us. If you have kids, I know you've shared that little word of wisdom. And so our pattern, like Sarai's pattern, is to want things our way in our time. And when it falls apart, it's God's fault. It's others' fault. It's our co-conspirators' fault. And so, church family, let me help you to, to realign your mentality, to recalibrate your heart. When our faith fails, when our faith disappears, when doubt begins to creep in and we take action outside of faith, let me encourage you, rather than blaming God and blaming others, take a look in the mirror. When our faith fails, don't look to everybody else. Look in the mirror. Because that will save you a great deal of heartache relationally with those around you. It will save you a great deal of heartache in your relationship with God. Break the pattern of blame. Break it. Take responsibility. Take ownership. Because it's then that God can restore your faith. It's then that he will begin to work in your life and bring the things that you desire to fruition. And in the midst of all this crazy story of these two giant figures in the scripture, Abraham and Sarah, is this little Egyptian slave girl named Hagar. And she's thrown in the middle of this love triangle against her will, I'm sure, and with no voice in the matter. She didn't have a vote in the decision. And so I can imagine, I, I can sympathize with her that her attitude may not be the best. She's been dragged into this thing and now I'm in the middle of this marital dispute. And I've got a child on the way. Yay me. And so she begins to despise Sarai. She's not sure what to do Abraham and Sarah are having this battle, this fight, this argument all the time. And so finally, Abram says to Sarah, just do what you want with her. I, I, I'm out. And so she treats her harshly and Hagar doesn't know what else to do but run, which is what sometimes we do. We don't know what to do. We just run away. We just escape. 
Just get me away from here. I can't stand it. I've got to run. And as all this is happening, you would think that God would have stepped in in that moment and just sort of lightning bolted Abram and Sarah. Like, are you crazy? I'm going to start over with somebody else. You two can't get it together. You would think that he would, he would punish them for their sin, that he, he would come in and, and exact retribution, and he would express his justice and his judgment. Why would you agree to this crazy idea, people? But he doesn't do that. God does step into this scene. He does engage with this family. And you know what he does? He goes out into the wilderness, into the desert, and he meets Hagar, the Egyptian slave girl. It's the first time in the Bible that an angel of the Lord appears, first time in the Bible, to a nobody slave girl. First time. So no matter how great or small you feel, let me encourage you. God sees you. And that's what he tells Hagar. God sees you. If you're running as hard as you can away from God and away from everybody else, God sees you. And he cares for you. He wants to bring you encouragement because that's what he does to Hagar. He encourages her in that moment he encourages in this encounter and says, you're going to have a son and his descendants will be too numerous to count. There's going to be great blessing for you. You're going to experience the blessing of a son. And he's going to have sons and daughters that will be too numerous to count. I will bless you. And so here she is by herself, alone, not sure what to do. And God shows up in the middle of her despair, in the middle of her frustration, in the middle of her anger, in the middle of her fear, he shows up to encourage her. And after he shares with her the blessing after he shares with her his presence with her, after he shares that he sees her even in her loneliness, he gives her a task. And he says, return and submit. Return and submit. And if you're running today, metaphorically or physically, away from whatever it is, Return and submit. We in the New Testament might say, repent and believe. Turn and obey. Go back to that situation that you were in and submit to the authority under you. Live life like you're supposed to live it. Return and submit. Don't run away from your responsibility. Don't run away from God's call in your life. Don't run away from his presence. Return and submit. And so before we think that 
Every time in the Bible, it seems like these big characters, they kind of get away with everything. Like God doesn't really punish them. He, he just sort of shows up and rescues them, kind of saves the day. Let me remind you of the consequence of this little action here. This little love triangle in 2021, that's today. In today, from that time period in ancient Israel, all the way to the present, there has been war and strife and death and hatred and war and killing and hatred and death for Israel and the other countries in the Middle East because of this. Thousands and thousands of years of hatred because Abram and Sarai didn't listen to God. Israel forever is at war with the descendants of Ishmael because of this. And then the irony of this story is that you have this Egyptian slave girl who ends up becoming the, the mother of Ishmael. And what happens a few years later? We have a whole book that's been written about it called Exodus. Israel ends up being in captivity. They're slaves to the Egyptians. So the tables get turned on Israel. And so they are now no longer the leaders. They're not the the masters and the Egyptians are the slaves. No, they become the slaves to the Egyptians. And we have Charlton Heston to thank for helping us understand that story. But perhaps the, the most critical one relationally as we think about our relational dynamic with those that are closest to us, not just our spouse, but our family, there's a serious consequence to their action this day. That Abram and Sarah had to wait 13 years from this point before Isaac was born. 13 years of missing out on the blessing of God. 13 years of waiting again because they wanted to take matters into their own hands. 13 years because they didn't listen to God. And so if you didn't know it by now, God's forgiveness of our sin does not eliminate all the consequences. When you and I refuse to live by faith, when we take matters into our own hands, when we disobey the call of God, there are consequences. He is ready to forgive. His blessing and his presence are always there for us. But that doesn't mean he wipes away the consequence of our sin. They are real. And so don't blame God. Don't blame your parents. Don't blame others. Don't blame your spouse. Don't blame your kids when there are consequences to your actions. Abram and Sarai experienced the consequences and we to this day are experiencing the consequence of that sin. 
But the beauty of this passage comes in chapter 17. Because God's presence didn't run from their futility. He stayed engaged. He stayed committed because God is always faithful. He's always true. He's not like us. He is true to his word. And when he establishes a covenant, a promise, he will maintain that. And so I want you to look as we wrap up today at Genesis 17, 1. When Abram was 99 years old, what an amazing thing. Like people lived longer back then, but my uncle just passed away. He was 101. Uh, my grandfather and Brandy's grandfather are in their late 90s. What, what a great thing. In the first service, I, I talked, kind of made a little joke because they're closer to 99 than we are, most of us at least. But, but to, to live to 99, what, what an amazing thing that would be. But to be a dad at 99, I'm not sure. But when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. He said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. What, 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 a, what a great command. Walk before me and be blameless. That I might make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. Part of the reason there's battle from then till now is that phrase right there. For an everlasting possession and I will be their God. God doesn't abandon us just like he didn't abandon Abraham and Sarah. He stuck with them even through their sin. And he reaffirms his covenant with them, a covenant built on faith. He is a faithful, everlasting, steadfast God and he asks us to live by faith. He asks us to live by faith. And so he changes Abraham's name from Abram, father of many, to Abraham, father of a multitude of nations. Now I can imagine when Abraham went back to his extended family and said, hey guys, uh, I'm changing my, God changed my name, not me. I, God changed my name from Abram to Abraham. They all knew what Abraham meant. And I imagine they did their best to keep a straight face. But the dude's 99. Like, how are you having kids, Abraham? Father of many nations. To be like, your name is Bill. Your given name is Bill. And you tell everybody, hey, I changed my name to William. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's just dumb. Why would you do that? And so I can imagine the snickers in kind of behind the scenes of father of many nations. What? But that's how faith works, isn't it? Faith doesn't work by sight. 
Faith is unseen. And Abraham lived by faith. And you and I, we are stronger when we live by faith. We're stronger when we live by faith. That's what God calls us to do, is to live by faith, not by sight. And I wanna close with this passage out of the book of Romans. Paul writes about this very encounter between Abraham and God. In Romans 4, he says, he did not weaken, he is Abraham, in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Now you and I rest on the promises of God. And may we live by faith because he is true to his word and he will be true to his word concerning your family and my family. And so trust in his strength to make you stronger each day. Will you bow with me as we pray?